Hey everyone, and welcome back to the show. Jessica Stevens here, your host of I Just Blank Now What? Here we are, final episodes of the month coming to you now here in June. So, so excited to be wrapping up this season. It's been fantastic. These last couple episodes are fire and I'm just so excited and grateful to all my guests. So we're going to jump right in because we have a hot topic of a conversation today with my guest, Leah Pinelli, and she's going to be sharing her, I just can't stop eating. Now what story? Yeah, this is a really amazing conversation about food and the relationship with food. And, you know, when I was talking to Leah, you know, I had this kind of thought about addictions and, you know, what people have to do to overcome addictions. And it's literally cutting them out of their life. But what happens when your addiction is to the thing that you need to survive and live, which is food? None of us can live without food. We need to eat. So what happens when that is your addiction? And she's going to unpack so much about this conversation about food and eating and and how to manage those emotions and what to do to help anyone who is currently feeling like food is something that they're turning to for unhealthy reasons. So here's a little bit about Leah. Ready to crack the code on your relationship with food and weight? Well, then you should know Leah Pinelli. She is a woman on a mission to help ambitious, busy women free up the mental real estate they're currently wasting counting calories and carbs and instead use that energy to create the lives they crave unapologetically. Having lost 30 pounds herself using the same method, Leah has helped countless women stop emotional overeating and simplifying weight loss from the inside out. Her 90 day to food freedom program teaches what every other weight loss program doesn't, which is brain-based solutions to solve the real problem and end self-sabotage for good. Host of the Life You Crave podcast, Leah's work has been featured in Shout Out, SoCal, San Diego Voyager, and numerous podcasts. She was also the keynote speaker at the Strong Girls, Strong Women Conference in Silicon Valley and is a premier success coach with eWomen Network. When not overanalyzing Real Housewives episodes, well, like it's her job and consuming inappropriate amounts of Earl Grey tea with a splash of cream, you can find this Stanford and UC Berkeley grad, go Bears, walking in the California sunshine with her rescue dog, Taco, her giant, gentle husband, and a mouthy but lovable kid. So without further ado, let's get to the now what. Have you ever had a situation happen in your life that you weren't expecting, good or bad, and said to yourself or out loud, oh my gosh, I just fill in the blank. Now what? Me too, friend. Me too. I've had quite a few actually. And in the moment, I never knew what I was going to do next. Of course, I had to figure it out sometimes the hard way, but I did figure it out. So join me and some amazing guests this season as we all share our own I just blank now what stories so we can all learn from their transformational lessons to help us all answer that lifelong and often paralyzing question, now what? Hey friends, have you ever had that I just feel so bloated now what moment? (laughs) Me too, and that's when I reach for my Greens Gut Glow Drink. 
Yep, I can sip my way to healthier looking skin, support my digestive system, and get an extra scoop of greens all in one bundle that helps me de-bloat. This nutritious trinity includes three of my favorite Arbonne nutrition products, Be Well Superfood Greens, Gut Health Digestion and Microbiome Support, and Skin Elixir Collagen Support. I drink this every day. The greens, just one scoop of this versatile vegan superfood powder, delivers a blend of 36 fruits and vegetables in each serving for a boost of greens, featuring fiber, photonutrients, along with a natural deep green color courtesy of blue-green algae derived from spirulina, chlorelia, wheatgrass, and barleygrass. Just one scoop provides me with the benefits of eating a full color spectrum of fruits and vegetables. Minding my gut's microbiome is a must, and this delicate balance of bacteria helps support favorable gut flora. Designed to support the benefits of a healthy diet, this plant-powered natural health product mixes easily with water, so its blend of probiotics and enzymes can work synergistically with my body to help support gastrointestinal health. Its ingredients include inulin from chicory root and 3 billion CFUs of Bacillus coagulant probiotics plus enzymes that act as a digestive aid. This natural health product helps support favorable gut flora while helping to digest proteins and contains ginger, which traditionally used in herbal medicine to help relieve digestive upset. For the glow, I'm sipping my way to healthier looking skin. This acai or dragon fruit flavored vegan natural health product features antioxidant vitamin C to help in collagen formation to maximize healthy bones, cartilage, teeth, and gums, silicone and biotin to support healthy hair, skin, and nails, and a blend of sea buckthorn fruit extract, pine bark extract, and vitamin C for antioxidants. This vegan natural health product provides beneficial ingredients for my skin, hair, and nails. So head to jessicastevenstoronto.arbon.com and use promo code ARBON10 to get 10% off your Greens Get Glow bundle. That's jessicastevenstoronto.arbon.com and promo code ARBON10 gets you 10% off. Or just click the link in the show notes and get your Greens Gut Glow Bundle all in one click. Well, hello, Leah. How's it going? Hi, Jessica. It is going so well now that I'm here chatting with you. Yeah, I'm super excited about this conversation today with you. And uh, I I love talking to all my guests, but you and I are going to be talking about a topic that I think a lot of people can relate to and uh, something that is probably something that they don't really want to admit about themselves either. Right. Yes, you know, you know what I'm talking about. Um, but before we get into that and talk about, you know, food and eating and all the things, obviously I just read your amazing bio to everybody, but I always love for guests to share a little bit about themselves in their own words to everybody. What do you want the audience to know about you? Yes. Well, thank you for that opportunity. So I am Leah Pinelli, as you mentioned, and I am a, uh, I like to think of myself as a diet mentality disruptor. So I personally, I teach typically high achieving career driven women, how to 
find and sustain what I call their happy weight, but how to do it. I mean, part of the happy part is you have to do it with maximal pleasure and minimal effort. And I, and and really the whole purpose, I I actually have like kind of a, a secret agenda. That's not so secret, which is the amount of mental real estate that we women are currently, you know, giving over to counting calories and carbs and worrying about how we look and all of it could just be, if it could be freed up, like, I, I really think that we could take over the world. <laughs> so I have like a take over the world agenda here for women. Um, but I'm but here for it. Right. I mean, that's my mission is it's just like, man, if we could just take that off our plates, which we can and really feel good and confident in our own skin. I just, I can't imagine the impact that we would have in the world. So that is, that is my journey. That is my mission. I was a long time yo-yo dieter decades since the age of nine. So been there, done that. But when I was 39, I, I figured out kind of how to crack the code on my own weight and food relationship with food, most importantly. And then I, I lost 30 pounds and I've been living at my happiest weight with minimal effort for the last six years. I love it. All right. So that is like the perfect segue into your story, which is I just keep overeating. Now what? Yes. Um, and as I said at the beginning of this episode is like, I think that's somebody, something that many of us can relate to. Yeah. Many of us may not want to admit to no right. matter what size we are, no matter what the scale says, even myself as a petite person, mm-hmm. I am totally guilty of this sometimes as well. Yeah. My husband, you know, kind of jokes with me is that he's like, you have two modes, girl. He's like, you are either bird or goldfish. Right? <laughs> like sometimes I pick. And I'm like taking a little bit. I'm not really, you know, fussy about what I'm eating. But yeah. other times I'm when I'm in my goldfish mode, I am like, give me the food. Yeah. Give me yeah. the food. And I find that sometimes I also overeat. For sure. For sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. So take us back to Leah several years ago when this was on repeat in your life, when you were, you know, a chronic overeater. Yeah. Let us know what was going on and you know how you got to your your happy place. Yeah. So I was always a big eater. Like I from a very young age, I always knew I had a big appetite. I was always hungry when other people weren't. And I could always eat a lot more than other people. Like I always and and I also was overweight and I knew that I needed to eat less to not be overweight anymore, but I couldn't figure out how to do that because I was always hungry and I didn't want to be hungry, you know, so it was just kind of a constant, you know, I was constantly doing all the dieting stuff. And at about the age of, I mean, you know, I'd done Weight Watchers, keto, paleo, all the things. Um, and it wasn't really until I had my, my well, yeah, I, it wasn't until I had my son. And I was teaching a class at the time for girls. It was a, a a class called Girl Rising. I was teaching it in public schools and it was like a girls empowerment program. And I was teaching, it was, it was my dream job. I mean, I got to create the course, I got to implement it. And it was, you can imagine so much fun, like me and 30 teenage girls sitting around talking about the things that actually most matter to teenage girls, like and getting to ask questions, like, is this a healthy relationship? What's going on with my body? Like, why is this weird fluid coming out of me? <laughs> you know, like all of these questions that like teenage girls are actually grappling with that they don't have the space or the mentorship to really ask and, and get good information. I was mm-hmm. able to create this course for them. And part of it was 
about self-love. I mean, that was a huge part of it and body diversity and healthy living. And yet I, and, and I was heavier at the time, right? I was, I had been in the overweight category for a long time. I had had my son and I had completely sworn off dieting because I had done every diet in the book and I knew that nothing worked for long. Mm-hmm. So I'm just like, forget it. I'm, I'm resolved to be overweight. I'm a, I'm a big, I have a big appetite. My husband is a six foot seven athlete and I can eat just as much as him. It's just who I am. I don't know why, who cares? And I know, love myself. I love my curves. That's who I'm going to be. But secretly, this is the part that you were saying, like, we don't want to admit it. The part that I was hiding was not necessarily my body. Although I didn't feel at home in the skin I was in. I definitely didn't love the weight that I was carrying at that time. That was not the thing that really most bothered me. What most bothered me was I would overeat all the time. And I knew I was overeating and I couldn't seem to control it. And I don't mean binging. I'm not talking about binge eating disorder necessarily, mm-hmm. although that that can be related, but that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is I would wake up every morning and I would always have the same breakfast. You know, I would have two pieces of like whole grain toast. Like I was a healthy eater, quote unquote. And I would put half an avocado in there and two fried eggs. That's a big honking sandwich, you know? And I would eat the whole thing and inevitably two hours later, I needed a snack. And, and so I would always carry my snacks, you know, so I would have all my snacks and I was always carrying these huge bags to work where I would have, you know, because my bag had, had all my snacks and it had my lunch and my, and it was always, you know, all this food. Stuff. It was always food filled with food, right? <laughs> I was walking around with these huge food bags, you know? And so I just knew that it was something about me. And I, you know, I would hide that because I was embarrassed about how much I ate. And I would felt like people would watch me when I was eating because I would eat so much. And, and again, this wasn't binging. It was just a big appetite, you know, mm-hmm. and, and being hungry frequently. And so it wasn't until I was 39, is that right? Yep. 39. And I, fi- I finally was able to figure out what was actually going on with me that I wasn't imagining it that I didn't have less willpower than everyone else. I genuinely was overly hungry. I was hungrier than most people, but I was also as hungry as hungry as a lot of people, those of us who struggle with this. And I also had really strong cravings. And I noticed this about myself that I would really create like, oh, I really want to have, you know, pasta tonight, or I really want to have this or that. And there are lots of people like that who think a lot about food, but I would think about it a lot and kind of had to have it, couldn't stop thinking about it until I got it. So pretty obsessive when it came to thinking about food and not just what I was going to eat, but then what I ate and did I eat too much and I should have eaten less and maybe I should have had this and now I got to work it off and I'm going to go to the gym and I'm right. And so my mental real estate that I was talking about in the beginning, it was just, I don't want to say it was consumed because I was a very, I was very successful in my career. I was making an impact. I was a mom, you know, I had a good time with my friends and my husband, but, but I would say at least 60% of my brain space was being consumed by thoughts about food, weight, whether my clothes are going to fit tomorrow, how I could eat less, all the things. So that was really my life from age nine to 39. So about 30 years. Just a, just a handful of years. Like no big deal. Just no 30 big deal. years. Yeah. Yeah. Question before we move forward. You mentioned that you have always been categorized as overweight. What's uh-huh. What is that? Like for anyone who's listening, who's like, I don't, I actually don't know if I'm considered overweight. What, what is overweight according to, you know, the definition you were given by your medical team or whatever? Yeah. 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 So whenever I talk about having been overweight, I'm actually just referring to the BMI, the boss, the the body mass index. Mm -hmm. Um, 
but not because that's actually a valid measure of anything. Let me just be clear. But yeah. it was like if, if, if we need a metric to talk about this, and so that was the one that I would use, particularly because as women, that's the one that our doctors use when we go to talk to our doctor or when we go in for a checkup and, you know, and I've certainly been in that position where you're there and they're like, well, you are in the overweight category and, you know, you have to have that conversation. And, and, you know, the, so that is what I'm talking about. So for, okay. for my height and my weight, my, the normal range of the BMI is but somewhere between 140 and 159. And I had never, ever been in that category. I mean, unless I was like at the peak of some diet, but I guarantee you that weight came back within a month of okay. time. So I never lived in that range ever Got until it. I figured out this other piece. So obviously this is an audio show. No one can see you. How tall are you? I'm five, seven. Five, okay. So you're actually fairly tall. Yeah. 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 I'm five, seven. So if you look at the BMI, the boss, Mac, the boss, Maddie, why do I keep saying that? The, the body mass index. If you look at it, you can Google it. You'll see, you can find your height and your weight. Yeah. It'll tell you what is the quote normal range. What is the overweight range and what is the obese range and what is the underweight range. Mm -hmm. And so that was just the, that was just the tool that I was using at the time. Not that I didn't, I didn't, I was never really bothered that I was in the overweight category my whole life. Mm -hmm. uh, but again, it wasn't really about that. It was about my relationship with food. And then when I came into the normal weight of the BMI, I was just so shocked because I had an identity as being somebody who was overweight. And so I never thought I could actually live so outside of that. Yeah. In that yeah. normal range. Wow. Okay. So let's continue on the story. You yeah. have your son. Yeah. You're teaching this class. And what was that aha moment for you? Yeah. So I was teaching this class and I felt a bit of imposter syndrome because yeah. I was preaching so much self-love and, and health and all of it. And while I had parts of that, I, I, I knew I was struggling with food and hiding with food. And I also had like a massive sweet tooth that had developed in my third trimester of pregnancy. Thanks pregnancy. And um, that didn't go away after I had my baby. And so I was also not loving my relationship with sugar. Like I was really finding myself dependent on sugar. And that's one of the, the big things that I focus on with with clients and in my community is how to help people kind of break themselves from the habit, not break up with sugar completely, but actually just the habit that tends to suck us in so easily. So a lot sugar, of change. sugar is addictive. Like it, once you eat it, you're like, Ooh, give me some more, right? hundred percent, a hundred percent. Yeah. And so I had kind of become somebody who was constantly, when I say constantly, I mean, daily eating sugar daily and things like that, that I didn't used to do. And I couldn't seem to unhook myself and um, so I just felt like an imposter with these girls, like a not directly related. I also knew I needed a stronger skill set because my course became very popular and girls were coming into our class with these like big life stuff. And I, um, I mean, I have a master's degree in education, but I'm not a counselor. I'm not a therapist. And so I actually was like, I could give them my opinion. You know, I could be like, oh girl, you need to break up with him. You know, like, let me tell you why that boy's not good enough for you. You know, I mean, I could have, but I couldn't actually give them any tools to navigate their own lives. And so I started doing some research. I learned about life coach training and I thought, okay, that sounds like the skills I need. I want, I would love some skills to help my girls with their lives, right? Some life coaching. Mm -hmm. So I did life coach training. It's amazing. Totally life-changing. And in that program, I had to do some, you know, you have to get so many hours of coaching. And so I was coaching women and I found that I loved it. I was like, this is so fun. This is so great. 
I'd heard about weight loss coaching because I'm in that world of life coaching. And I literally had the thought I did my training in 2016 and I literally had the thought, well, that looks like a scam because if that worked, I would have done it by now. Right. Like I would have done weight loss coaching. I've done everything. And so I just ignored it for two years. And it wasn't until, well, that's not true. It was about 2017, but it was the end of 2017 that I stumbled upon a podcast that had a tool that I actually teach now, but it was basically a tool to learn to recalibrate your hunger and satiety levels, satiety, meaning your satisfaction. And I was like, Oh, I'll try that. It's not a diet. I'll try it. You know? And I tried it and I lost seven freaking pounds without changing what I was eating and without being hungry. And I was like, what's happening? (laughs) I have to learn more. And so then I started to explore and I went through weight loss weight loss coaching myself and then became a weight loss coach because what I learned was that it was so much more than just willpower or what I was eating. It had to do with actually my biochemistry. It had to do with my psychology. It had to do with neuroscience. It had to do with hormones. I mean, there were so many more factors involved in why I was so hungry and why I would crave that were not my fault. It wasn't because I was somehow a flawed human. And when I understood that and could put it together, I was like, oh my gosh, this makes so much sense. I lost, when I got down to the 159 marks, I started out in the mid 180s. When I got to the 159, that's the normal range of the BMI. And I, that was my goal. I was like, I just want to be for the first time in my life. I just want to be normal. Yeah. Even though I know it's BS, the whole chart, I just wanted to get there. And I got there and I, it was like, I don't want to say it was effortless, but I say minimal effort. And what I mean by that was it felt good the whole freaking way. It felt good the whole way. Now it feels good the way that a workout might feel good. Like it doesn't mean that every moment feels like a massage, you know, but you're like, this feels so good to me. This feels right to me. And I'm loving the results that I'm getting. When I got to 159, I thought I would just stop there, but I actually ended up losing seven, nine more pounds in the process because it was feeling good. I wasn't hungry. I wasn't using willpower. I wasn't overly craving. So my body just fell to what I call my natural weight, which is your natural weight is what you weigh when you're not struggling with food at all. You're not struggling with it. And whatever you weigh then on the scale is your natural weight. And if you're happy with that number, that becomes your happy weight. If you're not happy with your natural weight, then we have a little work to do, but that work does not come from the outside in. That work has to do with inside of your head, you know, to, to find happiness with that natural weight. So you don't have to struggle anymore. Mm -hmm. Wow. Okay. So question for you, when you got into the life coaching space, obviously you got to do a lot of work on yourself, right? Before you can turn around and start coaching other people. What were some, what were some of those onion layers that you learned about yourself when you went through, you know, your own life coaching, like being coached girl that really (laughs) kind of, yeah, drop some of the the baggage and the weight so you could actually go and lose the weight. A hundred percent. I actually just wrote a podcast about this today and I'm going to make a LinkedIn news newsletter about it as well, because what I had to what I learned was that, yes, one, 
once you tackle the biochemistry piece, once you actually tackle the what you're eating and how what you're eating is causing you to crave more and to be more hungry, not less hungry. Once you figure out, you're like, oh, this is how my body thrives when I eat in this particular way, which by the way, is not restrictive. There's no diet. There's no measuring. There's no counting. But when you figure out like the right combination of foods for you and your one unique body, then that's like the math. It's done. You're right. You're Mm -hmm. like, check, like, okay, check, check. But then there's still the, I am a, you know, at the time I was, I was working in leadership and I had a very stressful job. I had really long hours. So it didn't really matter that I knew the right combinations to eat because I still, when I was stressed, I really wanted to go pop some popcorn in the microwave and get my Mm -hmm. chocolate covered almonds and a cup of coffee. That was like my two o'clock, like hit. I knew I wasn't physically hungry, but I was eating for emotional reasons, right? I was eating because I was stressed, overwhelmed, bored, dissatisfied, all those feelings. So what happened in life coach training was what you learn, what I learned was that those feelings, yes, those feelings were the catalyst for the eating, but Mm -hmm. what if I just didn't eat? What would happen then? What if I felt my feelings and didn't actually try to eat them away, right? What? Feel your feelings? Feel my feelings. I know. It's a concept, right? And so I did that. And what I found is that it was very uncomfortable, of course, because nobody wants to feel the feelings of, you know, I spent, you know, a bajillion dollars at Stanford getting this master's degree so that I could do this job. But now I don't love this job. And I want to go be some flighty life coach that doesn't even require, you know, a, a degree. Like what? So I had to get, I had to get uncomfortable. I had to get Comfortable with the being uncomfortable. Yes, exactly. And so then, then, so when you stop eating to cover up your feelings, then you're left with your feelings. And then you're left with, what do I really want? And I would say that the biggest hurdle that I had in, in going through life coach training was really coming to terms with, this is what I want to do with my life. And because I was so concerned about all of the judgment, right? All of the judgment, because in my mind, I'm like, people... I have degrees from Berkeley and Stanford. People from Berkeley and Stanford are not life coaches. Like we make fun of life coaches, right? What will my mother think? You know, it was like, what, you know, what are people going to think about me? Because life coaching seemed so, the word I would use was cheesy. So I really had to do a lot of work. That was probably where I did the most work was to gain the courage. I always say that the way that you really transform yourself, the way that you do that, where you do these big, scary things to create the life you crave, it requires four C's. And the first C is compassion. And I had to garner compassion for myself, right? Because I was very busy judging myself. Like, what are you thinking? That you are not, you are an academic. You know, you, (laughs) what are you thinking? And then the second thing after compassion is curiosity. So once you have the compassion for yourself, then you have to really get curious. What do I really want? And that's a scary question, Jessica, that most women are not asked. And we do not, we are afraid to answer for ourselves. Like, what do I really want? Mm -hmm. And When you answer that question comes the third C, which is courage. Am I going to garner enough courage to now go get what I want? Because I knew I really wanted to work for myself and be a life coach. And I was so mortified of of admitting that to the world. So that's the courage part. And then the last part is community. Just you have to get into community, a a community of support, a community of people. I have a a couple of women now that um, we call ourselves PIMS because we are partners in believing. And so really intentionally surrounding yourself with women or people, humans who believe in you and believe that you can do this and that are there to support you the whole way through. That community piece is really key. So those 
four C's are what I did. And now what I encourage my women in my community to do. Love it. Okay. So you were so right. Like the, the math is the math, right? Like you, once you learned that piece, that's, you got an A in math class, but as you said, you still have English and drama and all these other courses that you needed to like work through. So that's where that life coaching piece really helped you tap into the emotional and mental side of things a hundred percent to support the, to, you know, the logical of like, I know, I know the math now, like I know about the eating, why the eating, whatever, but that still does not stop the trigger of stress in my life, making me want to actually go and eat. Exactly. What do I need to change in my life? Exactly. So yeah, now you got two, two tools at your disposal. What happened? Well, I worked two full-time jobs for a couple of years, meaning I started my coaching business kind of on the side. You know, I was actually coaching clients at like six in the morning before I would go to work. And then I would work from 7.30 in the morning until, you know, five o'clock. Whatever time. And then I would sit in area traffic and then I'd come home and coach a couple more clients. But eventually I, I ended up, you know, finally leaving the industry that I was in and, and just really going all in on my practice full time. Mm-hmm. And was that when you were now at your happy weight consistently so that you oh, yeah. had the brain bring capacity and the mental load to actually do three jobs, right? Be a parent, be exactly, be an educator and then be a coach and, or maybe four jobs, be a wife and a friend and five. Right. 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 So I love, I love the fact you kind of mentioned this earlier is like, in order to have space on the plate to do all of those other things and all of those other roles, you need to take something off the plate. And what Mm -hmm. you took off the plate was the thinking about the food yeah, and I all the shame the and all the things that's right. That's right. That went along with that. So well, once you stop thinking about it, you can actually have time to think about other things. Exactly. And I actually had a woman go through one of my programs and, and I've had multiple clients say this to me. They'll say, I actually am kind of bored now because I have all this extra time. Like, what am I going to do with this time that I used to spend, you know, thinking and dieting and measuring and figuring it all out. And if I don't have to do that anymore, and she actually went and started her own business. I mean, <laughs> and, and that's essentially what I did. It's just that what, what I did with that newfound mental real estate was I really went after the life that I was craving and created the life that I was craving because I no longer have the distraction of food and weight. I don't have to worry about that. Now, that being said, that was six years ago that I started the process and it only took me about, I would say probably a year to land on my happy weight and stay there. I have other clients that it can take longer, it can take shorter, depends on how much weight you have to lose or whatever it is. But also now I'm 45 and our bodies change, right? Like, hello, perimenopause, right? And all of a sudden I'm like, wait a minute, what's happening? And so once again, but here's the thing is the tools that I've learned, these are psychology-based tools. These are neuroscience-based tools. These are brain-based tools. And I understand just the basic science of weight loss. So I don't need to now go invest in some other diet or some other way. I have the tools to figure out for myself, what does Leah's 45-year-old body, what is, I might have a new happy weight in menopause, right? It doesn't mean that we weigh the same thing we weighed when we were 22 necessarily. Although I actually, in this process, weighed less than I weighed when I was 22 because I was always overweight. Mm-hmm. But 
But the point is that even as our bodies change in age, when you understand these kind of basic fundamentals of, like I said, the psychology, the neuroscience and the basic science of weight loss, you can adapt and change and flow with it in your life in a way that you don't have to constantly, you don't have to go find something new just because you're menopausal now, or, or go find something new because you gained some weight over the holidays. There's no finding a new diet, right? There, there might be the curiosity piece of exploring my body used to love dairy, but I'm feeling like maybe dairy's not my friend anymore, but that's coming from a place of love and curiosity, not from a place of, I have to cut out X so that I can fit in my jeans. Like that is a totally different relationship with yourself. Mm-hmm. Woo. Wow. Okay. So when you and I first connected and have had a chat, we, we were talking about food, obviously, mm-hmm. and food addiction. Yeah. And I said something to you, which was my personal belief is food addiction is probably the hardest addiction out there mm-hmm. because food, we need it. We can't live without it. So how do you stop an addiction to something that you actually fundamentally need? Yes. Well, here is the beautiful thing about that is that when you are eating mostly unprocessed foods, and what I mean by unprocessed is I'm not talking about a raw diet. I'm not talking about paleo. I'm not talking Mm -hmm. about anything like that. I just mean, when you really start to prioritize three things, protein, fat, because we need fat ladies, (laughs) protein, fat, and what I call plants, just plants, right? So fruits, vegetables, whatever it is, protein, fat, and plants. When you start to prioritize that, what you find, sorry, let me back this up just one second. When one of the things that most of us in our, you know, the, the kind of modern world suffer from is metabolic dysregulation. And what I mean by that is our metabolisms have changed and shifted over time because of what we're putting into our bodies. And so what, what is well-established in the literature is that the more kind of processed foods that you eat. And when I say processed, I I mean, I don't mean, I'm not necessarily talking about flaming hot Cheetos here, although that is a processed food, but I'm I'm talking about, you know, buying bread at the store to make your sandwich for lunch. I I mean, these are processed foods and they are not bad. I'm not demonizing them. It's just just simple science that when, when you're eating processed foods, you metabolize them differently than if you're eating whole foods. And so our meta- the more processed foods that we eat for a longer period of time, we metabolize our food differently. Food addiction is not usually, and, and by the way, I use the term food addiction loosely in that it is not actually, it's not currently an established addiction in the DSM-5, whatever, mm-hmm. but we're using it loosely here. But food addiction is not usually an addiction to whole foods right? It's not usually, it can be, but it's not usually. And so what happens is when you start to shift what you're eating, not by eliminating processed foods completely, not by demonizing them, but just starting to shift toward more of a whole food diet. What you'll find is that those intensity of cravings reduces significantly. And this is something that I go into depth about in my work with my clients, but when your desire decreases, you will consume less of it. Because if you think about it, it's like, if you're not a smoker and I put a pack of cigarettes in front of you, you're like, I don't need any willpower to resist the cigarettes. (laughs) Yeah, that is a hard no for me. Hard no, right? You're not sitting there white knuckling your way through this experience to not smoke the cigarettes. But so so the same idea, but if somebody who's a smoker and trying to quit and you put that, they're going to have a very different experience. Mm -hmm. So the point is that their desire is higher so therefore they're going to consume more. When your desire is lower, you consume less and it's 
no big deal. So I used to be somebody who ate pasta at least five times a week. I'm Italian American. This is how we were raised. I couldn't imagine not eating pasta that frequently. And now I am so truly take it or leave it with pasta. I still enjoy pasta because let's be clear, desire and pleasure are actually two different things in your brain. Mm -hmm. So I can still enjoy pasta, but I am in no way eating it five days a week now. And I'm, I never crave it except for my dad. So he makes amazing homemade pasta that once a year at Christmas, I'm all over it. Yeah. And there's also no fear of in yourself of if I eat this pasta, I'm going to want pasta. I'm going to need to eat more of it. Exactly. Exactly. Now here is the caveat I would say to that, Jessica is with sugar and I do eat sugar and I do love sugar. We just had Easter. You better believe I was eating some peanut butter chocolate cookies that the Easter bunny brought. But the point is that I know how to manage so that the habit doesn't evolve out of control. Yes. So for example, on Easter, we put out our little Easter platter and I knew exactly which ones I was excited about trying. I'm not going to eat stuff I'm not excited about. So I was, you know, I enjoyed the things I wanted to enjoy. And then I also then committed to myself, which I would always do that. I'm not going to have any sugar tomorrow. And the reason is not because I don't want to gain weight and it's not because I, you know, I want to punish myself or it's, it's none of that. It's deprivation. Yeah. None of that. It's simply because if I have sugar today and I have sugar tomorrow, then I will want it on day three. And I don't want to want it. Like there is such freedom when you don't want it. I can not want it and eat it and enjoy it and then not want it tomorrow. And that's how it works. But that takes a, that does take some practice and the practice is in your brain, right? It's not in following a diet. The practice is in your brain and it's understanding how your brain works so that you can apply that to your life so that you can have some Easter candy and not have to worry about, oh, now I've started my sugar addiction again. No, I have not. Mm-hmm. Or the pasta or the cheese or, the or whatever, or whatever food group it is for you listening I, that you're yeah. like, oh, I can't. Cause there's, there's this idea of abstinence is better because once I like, once you crack the, crack the lid. That's right. Right. Like right. you're eating the whole thing. That's right. And that's that permissive thinking. And and most of my clients are all or nothing thinkers, right? It's like, well, either I'm all good or I'm all bad. Either I'm on plan or I'm off plan. And so then what ends up happening is like, oh, well, it's Easter and I already had one. So I might as well have it all. Right. Mm -hmm. And that mentality is not, I mean, not only is, does it not serve us, but it, it really is disruptive to our lives. Right. And it doesn't have to be. We can just enjoy some Easter candy and then move on. And that's to me, all I ever wanted. I I used to always say, I just want to eat like a normal person. And to me, that's a normal person. I don't know what normal even means in this context, but in my mind, I was like, I just want to be able to take it or leave it. And now I can, because I have all of those pieces together. Awesome. 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 Okay. So for anyone who's listening, whose brain is on fire right now of like, oh my gosh, she's, 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 she's talking to me. What are some of those little hacks and tricks that you can recommend to get somebody moving in the right direction of being able to take it or leave it? Absolutely. The, the first thing that I actually teach my clients, it's the first tool that I teach in my 90 days to food freedom program is learning how to actually recalibrate your hunger and satiety levels. And what I mean by that is most of my clients, myself included, we don't know when we're hungry. 
We don't know what physical hunger actually feels like because we have, for me, it was always like the message, don't let yourself get hungry. Make sure you have a snack in your purse, carry some nuts, you know, and there's like vending machines everywhere. So we have this fear of hunger. So we don't even let ourselves get hungry. I used to eat preventatively, right? I'd be like, well, I don't want to get hungry later. So I'm going to eat now, even though I'm not really hungry now. So, and was that, I don't want to, you know, get myself hungry in fear of if I, if I get to the point where I'm hungry, I'm going to overeat. It would be that that was the messaging, or I might not have access to food and then I might explode or something, right? Like this fear of hunger, like I can't handle hunger. And, and, and the, the thing about that though, is that when you do have metabolic dysregulation, hunger is very difficult to manage, but when you have a healthy metabolism, meaning you're, you have metabolic health, then hunger is no big deal. It's no big deal. Like you feel it. And it kind of goes away and it's no big deal, but it's not like it is before when I was eating a lot of, you know, pasta and candy and all those things and hunger then was an emergency. It's no longer an emergency. So that's where I always say to people, first things first is to really learn your hunger and satiety levels. I had a client who actually lost 20 pounds just doing that. Um, And I lost seven pounds just doing that by learning when am I actually physically hungry? And the reason that that's your first step is because if you don't know when you're physically hungry, then you're not going to know when you're eating for emotional reasons. And when I say emotional, I don't necessarily mean like, you know, you're super depressed and eating ice cream directly out of the gallon. I just mean you're stressed. You're stress eating my chocolate covered almonds every day at two o'clock. That was stress eating. That was boredom eating. My wine in the evening was let me drown away my stressful job, you know, eating like Mm -hmm. it it was, that's the emotional stuff. And so if you don't know if you're physically hungry, you can't tell if you're eating for physical or emotional reasons. So the first thing is to learn how to do that. I do teach that in a, I have a, like a, it's a less than 30 minute video that I do teach that to people, but you can also just start to pay attention to physical hunger. Sounds like a growling stomach, maybe lightheadedness, but there's actual physical cues and then it's physical. And if you don't have those physical cues, then you know that it's most likely emotional. So I really think that that's where people have to start so that they can start to tease out how do I actually start to manage my physical hunger in a way that is encouraging, healthy, healthy and supportive to my body. And then from there, then I can start to tackle the emotional eating. Good place to start. Good place to start knowing that you're actually hungry versus just eating out of habit, right? Yes, exactly. Cool. Okay. so. I love to ask this question. Now what? What is going on with Leah at, as you said, 45 now? How, how's, where are you in the journey? Oh my gosh. So I have now been working full time as a life coach and I can say it without shame or guilt. Pride. Yeah. Stanford educated life coach. That's what I say myself. And I, I love my work. I actually have created the life that I crave. It's still a work in progress, but I'm able to get my son to school every morning. I am here to receive him when he comes home. I can make him a little snack. I get back to work in my home office, but I work from home. So I really had, I have the life that I was yearning for when I was, you know, a Dean of student discipline and, (laughs) you know, working in a really stressful job at the time. And I knew I wanted something else. This is what I wanted. And honestly, the best part, I know this sounds cheesy, but it's true, is the impact that I'm able to make on other women's lives. It's like this ripple effect because my women don't just come in. I mean, they do. Sometimes they come in and they lose the weight they want to lose and then they're done and that's fine and great and I love them. Mm -hmm. But a lot of times it's the 
holy cow, now that I figured out why I'm emotionally eating, I have to quit my job, divorce my husband, like whatever the thing is, because I don't want this life that I've created. I want to create a different life. And then that's where we really get into the fun work. Not that divorce is fun, but I just mean we get into the work where it's like, now we get to do what you want. Right. And, and currently my, my, my last thing I'll say is my current obsession is really changing the narrative that's currently being sold to all of us about what it means to be 40, 50, 60 years old, because you know we all kind of dread it. It's like, oh God, menopause, and we're going to get wrinkly, and we're going to just dry and shrivel up, and everything's going to get saggy, and you know all the things. And what I'm realizing is that these are actually the best years of our lives. Like mm-hmm. our kids are older, we're more successful than we've ever been. We're usually feeling more confident than we've ever been. The only missing piece for a lot of us is the actual self-prioritization, the prioritization of yourself to get yourself in the best metabolic health that you can be, the best health that you can be in, mental, physical, and spiritual, if that applies to you, because these are the best decades of our lives. I I truly, truly believe that. And I want to change that narrative because I want 20-year-olds to think, oh, I can't wait to be 45, right? Like, wouldn't that be amazing instead of being like, oh my God, 45 sounds like death. You know yeah. what I mean? That's 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 what I'm currently obsessed with. So that's a lot of the work that we do in in my community and with my women is really creating. It's it's creating the life you crave unapologetically. Awesome! I love that, and I love that word. I love that you use the word crave. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because cravings used to be a bad word, but now totally. uh, it has a, re- a redefinition for you, which I think is awesome. Yeah. Yes, I think. Obviously, we are living longer now than we ever have in history, right? So that the these these decades in which we are now living is actually, you know, still really young. We are still very young at 40, 50, 60. Like that is that's the new maybe halfway there, like maybe, you know? Yeah. So how do we change the narrative on those years and 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 think back of like, hey, when we were in our teens and 20s, what did we think about women in their 40s and 50s? What yeah. was that image? What was that look like? I I know the image of a 40 and 50 year old has drastically changed Thank from you, when we were younger. Yeah. For the simple, like, you know, visual comparison of the golden girls. Yes. The age of the golden girls versus the age of the women in the, the remake of Sex in the City, like yes. they're actually the same age. Yes. But look at like Sarah Jessica Parker and the outfits and the clothes and what she's doing right. versus Rose and Blanche and, right. you know, right. <laughs> Dorothy. Right. Like totally different. Yes. So I know that the image of 40s and 50s, even 60s has changed dramatically from yeah. when we were younger. And I think it's going to continue to dramatically change and age down where that does not seem like the end of life anymore and that there's right. still a lot of living. But in order for that to happen, we need to start taking care of our bodies that we're going to be living in in those decades way better from younger. Yes, I I, t- I couldn't agree with you more. And I actually just heard an interview with Dr. Felice. I cannot remember her last name now. I'll have to look it up. She is an OBGYN and a, she's written books on menopause. And she talked in that talk about how our health at the age of, you know, 40, 45 is actually it is going to inform and be the, the primary determinant of our health into our, you know, seventies, eighties and nineties, nineties, the healthier you are, healthier you are at the pre and perimenopausal ages, 
the healthier you, you will be at the postmenopausal stages. And to me, I'm like, well, if that's not motivation to like, let's get those walks on, you know, and I, I don't mean yeah. I feel like they're going to the gym or anything, but it's like, go get some sunshine, go outside, get enough sleep, eat some really delicious fat, nutrient dense food, get your greens in, do your walk around the block and have, you know, have a good time, you know, be romantic, go swimming in the ocean, hang out with your friends, like do it. Like you got to do it now because not because it gets worse later, but because it will make it better later. That's kind of the equivalent of being told when you're 16, like if you got it, if you don't got it by 16, it ain't happening. Or like, you know what I mean? Like I can't remember exact phrasing, but 16 was the age as a teenage girl Right, you were kind of told is like, that's your prime. If you got it, then, then, then it's good. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But it's kind of like that 40 to 45. This is the window ladies to really get things aligned so that everything is moving really great. Yes. After that. Yeah. And if I can just add to that, Jessica, that for me, alignment is vitality. And what I mean by that is, is whatever makes you feel most alive, because I know binge watching Netflix and eating a humongous bowl of popcorn and red wine used to be my jam, but that did not make me feel most alive. What makes me feel alive is actually date nights and vacations and laughing my butt off with my girlfriends and Mm -hmm. swimming and, you know, wearing a bikini. Like that makes me feel alive at 45. So really thinking about it in terms of what brings me most alive, that is exactly what you should be doing. Love it. All right. Okay. Where do you like to hang out? Where can the people find you? What's, you know, on the interwebs, where, where, where where can people find you? You know, I hang out on LinkedIn. I do have a presence on Instagram and Facebook, but to be totally honest, I am not hanging out there. It's my, I have an amazing team who makes sure I have a presence there, but that is not where I actually hang out very much. If you send me a message there, I will get notified, but I love LinkedIn and I have a, a community and that you can check out. It's free at leahpenley.com. And it's just, it's a community for exactly women like you and I, Jessica. It's like what we are talking about. It's women who are really invested in vitality and making and creating the lives that they crave unapologetically. So it's a lot of fun. Love it. Okay. All right, everybody. So if this episode resonated with you, please give it a like, a share, you know, listen again, take notes. And if, or, If you know somebody who is experiencing something similar, and I think we all know somebody who has a challenging relationship with food and eating, right? Like everybody does, including ourselves. Please, please, please share this episode with them because it may just help them figure out their very own. Now what? All right. That is it for us this week. Thank you so much. We'll be back next week for another episode of I Just Blank. Now what? Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate it more than I can say. Did you love this episode of I Just Blank Now What? If you did, be sure to subscribe on your fave podcast platform. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, please leave a review. I do love reading them. And if you know somebody who's experiencing this story or something similar, please share this episode with them. It just might help them figure out the answers to their own now what questions. Have you recently had a now what moment and aren't sure what to do? Reach out to me at jessicastevens.ca and submit your story and I'll help you figure out what to do, how to move forward and help you answer now what. See you on the next episode.